Podcast One. Hi, this is Paul McIntyre. Welcome to the MI3 Audio Edition. I've been a business journalist for 25 years covering the marketing, media, agency and tech sectors. In this series, we talk to industry leaders about the global and local developments that you need to be across this week. Well, as we mentioned last week in episode one of this two-part series on the ACCC's Digital Advertising Services Inquiry, Industry discussion has been all but sidelined around this report because of the high-stakes street fight over the media bargaining code between big tech, big media and the federal government. And the battle still rages as we speak on that front. But by August this year, the ACCC will hand down its final recommendations to the federal government on another part of the ACCC's sweeping digital platforms review. As I mentioned, it's called the Digital Advertising Services Inquiry. Now, More so than the Media Bargaining Code, which is really about payments between big tech and big media, or and media all all round, the Digital Advertising Services Inquiry is likely to have a material impact on advertisers, agencies, ad tech operations and media. In its 200-plus page preliminary report, released late in January, the ACCC has put forward six key recommendations which present sweeping changes for the industry if they proceed. What are they? Well, I can tell you they all sound pretty dry until you realise the careful language of a competition regulator masks potentially huge change. So stay with this one. To unpack all of this, we have our stellar cast from last week. So again, welcome to Joshua Lowcock, beaming in from New York. Joshua is an Australian expat, Chief Digital and Innovation Officer and Global Brand Safety Officer at UM in the US. He's also a non-executive director of several listed ASX companies. Uh, joining Joshua in Australia is Megan Brownlow, former PwC partner and Media Federation of Australia board member, Dan Stinton, Managing Director of The Guardian Australia, Gay Leroy, CEO of the IAB, and Christian Kroon, Chief Investment Officer at Omnicom Media Group. Welcome to you all and let's get started on this monster of a discussion. Let's go to the specific proposals the ACCC has tabled in its 200-plus page interim report. Uh, All of us here, of course, have read every page and highlighted it all uh, and what they mean for brands, marketers, media agencies and the ad tech supply chain. Now, it sounds like super boring stuff, but there are all manner of consequences buried in these proposals. So just a quick uh, overview. We have six proposals the ACCC's put in this interim report, which covers measures to improve data portability, data separation mechanisms, rules to manage conflicts of interest and self-preferencing in the supply of ad tech services, uh, the implementation of a voluntary industry standard to enable full independent verification of demand-side platform services, Uh, The fifth proposal is an implementation, interesting one, this, an implementation of a common transaction ID. And number proposal six is the implementation of a common user ID to allow tracking of attribution activity. Now, that all sounds really dense and holy cow, why am I listening to this? Hang about because these fine people are going to decode it for us and and unpack the implications. So we're going to start with Josh and we're going to start with the internationalist on on each of these and then bounce to... um, to our local panellists. So, Josh, the first one, measures to improve data portability. Now, the ACCC is considering measures here aimed at increasing data portability and interoperability to reduce barriers to entry uh, and promote competition in the supply of ad tech services. Uh, how important is this one? Uh, your take first. I think this is really important. I mean, last week you heard me talk about how the industry was co-opting it, but I think the other thing that's really important to bring to light here is we need to consider international 
regimes for sharing data. A lot of these data sets sit in international data centers. People move across markets and geographies and media players operate in different geographies. So we need to consider the way we can actually move data between both markets and different regulatory regimes. But when they say uh, data, improved data portability, what does that actually mean, Josh? What will it allow companies through the ch supply chain to do differently to what it is today? I mean, I can give you a, an explicit example, which is if you take sure. a, a certain key platform, you can't buy inventory on it outside of their own programmatic environment. So it'd be ideal where that data set was available for others to use to also buy inventory on that platform without naming names. Okay, so that sounds like YouTube. Christian Kroon, what do you say to that? Again, we're not entirely clear where ACCC is going yet because they've been quite broad. So I think data portability, um, you would assume that is around moving it between buying platforms because this is focused on programmatic. Um, how they achieve that with the consumer piece, like we said last week, very challenging. But again, the ACCC won't have missed that because you know, we've all got the benefit of GDPR. So fascinated to see what the, the approach is to, to balance that tension. Um, but yes, I'd agree with Joshua. There are certain things that the ACCC has clearly called out in the report around um, data moats, if you like, by different players. And they've clearly got an intent to, to look at how uh, they can build a recommendation that would ensure that's not distorting the market or having negative outcomes. Is there upside for, for a company like yours uh, in, in that portability, say with a certain major platform where you can't buy it anywhere else but through, the, through its own um, systems? What I would always say is um, when we look at things for our clients, it's around competition, it's around choice. So if the ACCC manages to increase um, choice for our advertisers, that can only be a good thing because it, back to Megan's point last week, it will help drop, drive innovation, opportunity, new ways of, of working, um, competition within particular parts of any supply chain. So from an advertiser perspective, that would be a good thing as long as we avoid any unintended consequences that might distort that. What might they be, Dan Stinton, and, and data portability as a publisher, uh, you like that idea? I do. I'd probably take a, a look at this from a slightly higher level, if you like. Well, you are the guardian, Dan. <laughs> I don't mean on principle, but anyway, um, <laughs> let me explain. I think the issue here is that, and this is specific to, to the platforms of, of Google and Facebook that I'll refer to now, but because of their control of really where people go online, um, or significant control at least, they've been able to harvest a huge amount of data um, through kind of surveillance, if you like. And now there's privacy concerns with that. I think we need to put purpose limitations on it, which we discussed last week and we'll no doubt discuss again later today. But I think the problem with that is that it's, it's, it's resulted in, a, in an arms race whereby um, the largest platforms, um, by virtue of how them getting increasingly stronger, are able to aggregate more and more data. And with it not being portable, um, it basically means that they're sort of entrenching their position. So I do think this has some really... Um, substantial competition benefits if we are able to figure out a way that we can have data portability. But again, I just want to echo what I said um, last week, and that is that you have to do this in concert with privacy regulations because this does raise significant risks of intrusion on consumer privacy uh, rights. Gayleroy, what sort of data are we talking about uh, that the ACCC or the ACCC wants to be portable? What, what, like, what are the specifics here? Well, I guess it comes down to one of the most important concepts in this paper, which is that common user ID. 
um, and then there could be a range of data off the back of that. L last week we talked a lot about, I guess, the concerns around running faster than privacy regulation, which is which is still a concern. But there is a lot of global work being done around at the moment, mostly due to the deadline of the of cookies going around um, new IDs. Um, so there is a lot of work being done in that space already to try and develop privacy compliant. I, common IDs that can go across a larger group of people. So there's, obviously we've heard about, you know, Google's Privacy Sandbox, but Trade Desk ID, and there's a whole lot of other ones as well. So if there are development of IDs that do work, that can sort of work across the ecosystem and be shared in a privacy compliant way, um, I think that that's great for the whole ecosystem in terms of innovation and um, allowing clients and publishers to, to make the most of their um, businesses. Uh, Megan, data portability, is it, uh, will it open up competitiveness, do you think, and, and can it be done, uh, you know, to your point earlier about cost and, and implications of that? Uh, is, it, is it a good proposal in your view? Yeah, from the two lenses, both the uh, ecosystem lens, the other suppliers, and also the consumer lens. In terms of the detail, does it, again, getting back to the sort of data that is open to the market, what does that look like uh, in terms of uh, every player having access to it? Is it is it a centrally controlled regime or what happens? Do you know how it would look, Megan? Well, it is connected, as Gay pointed out, to this common user ID. So it, it would have some sort of framework standards, some shape determined by what that common user ID uh, shape is. Okay. And, and Joshua, does it mean, does, will publishers benefit? Do you see publishers, uh, media companies and advertisers benefiting from this and how? I, I see everyone benefiting from this. I think it actually, to answer your question, it flows nicely through to proposal number two. And that's because you end up hopefully with also pricing transparency on the value of data. Ooh. So Ooh. a lot of the people that consolidate data also operate media, which I spoke about last week. And so if you actually have data portability, then you actually also introduce some pricing transparency about the value of media and data. Why is that? Why is that? Because then you, I imagine you'd see a world where you're paying for data. If data is portable, then the person that's being either forced or compelled to license their data on We'll have to set a price for that in the market which it's valued on and so i would see that where i buy it on the platform who owns the data plus other platforms who are also the secondary buyers of that data well it does get us to proposal two josh which is data separation mechanisms um again the ACCC is proposing here to the the extent to which data separation mechanisms such as data silos or purpose limitation requirements, which Dan referenced uh, last week, uh, may be effective in levelling the playing field. So what what does that mean, data separation, for someone not a simple bloke like me? And, and I'm not taking the mickey, I'm simple. So I'll jump in with that. So data separation means specified use and that the data can only be used in certain ways. That's my reading and understanding of their intent on that. And the separation of that is data collected from one service can't be applied elsewhere. We've actually seen it come up more recently when the ACCC and others reviewed Google's Fitbit acquisition. Right. Uh, so that's the extent of which data separation would occur. On the consent framework and everything else, I think that's a great one for Dan to weigh in on because I think we all have different views on that. Um, well, it looks like uh, Josh is now the moderator. So to Dan, um, you have some views on that. Look, as I said last week, I mean, I think that there, there needs to be a number of regulations brought in to, to govern the collection and use of, of data. Firstly, just on the purpose limitations, which we touched on last time, um, 
you know, I referenced Gmail, but I mean, another one might be, I don't think consumers should have a reasonable expectation that uh, where they use their credit card, that data can then be packaged up and sold off and used um, for target advertising purposes somewhere else. I think that that's, um, I think most consumers would think that that was an unreasonable use of, uh, of their data. And I think there just needs to be limitations around that. What you've all said so far, seems to me like there are, this has a very big, significant implication for buy side agencies and advertisers. If you can't bundle um, what you've been able to bundle so far, and it has to be unpacked. It changes everything, does it not, Christian Kroon? Uh, it has the potential to, particularly on where do you stop, because a lot of focus, almost fixation on Google, but there's a very large ecosystem out there, and an increasing ecosystem of media owners who have significant data, um, large e-com platforms, um, as an example, uh, slightly off topic, but the Chinese government um, this week has implemented its own rules about monopolistic behaviour from very large platforms. So we're seeing this around the world. Um, if you're going to apply it, I come back to the point of where do you start and stop? Because it could impact one business here in Australia or it could impact 20 or, or 30. Um, so I really want to understand a bit more. From an advertiser perspective, the way we've read this is you're looking, if you're looking to limit the ability of a market leader to interconnect data, from an advertiser's perspective, there's no benefit to that in the short term because all you're doing is restricting what they're able to do in the marketplace by removing the, the, the best option. Um, now, it might create competition in the medium to long term, which benefits an advertiser, but in the short term, I'm not sure... Um, looking very narrowly, what an advertiser gains from this approach. So um, we're, we're kind of neutral on this one. Want to see a lot more from the ACCC on the detail to understand the true implications. Uh, Megan, I want to ask you this because, you know, in, in a former life um, when you were doing the, sort of the media outlook at, at PwC, you talked a lot about the need for uh, legacy media companies to, to be competitive uh, with the platforms, the tech platforms in and around uh, data, they've been racing to everyone's point so far, they've been racing to build out, you know, and combine data stacks and, and, and get a get a better view on their on their audience uh, for advertisers. Um, does this suddenly uh, change uh, the competitiveness for everyone because they won't be able to do necessarily this if this data separation mechanism happens? Two things. Firstly, no, because we've got a bit of catching up to do. Uh, years and years of uh, research and development have gone into the platform's deep expertise and capability around data. So I don't think that's going to be a problem. But secondly, when I was banging on about legacy media companies needing to get smarter with data, I was also talking about the business model being direct from consumer dollars, not just advertising dollars. And the improvement in your data collection allows you to be more targeted, not in your advertising, but in how you serve those consumers. Right. Now, this is a big, big, if, if we, and we've got to move very quickly, we're only on proposal two for crying out loud, but but if to unwind these big data stacks at platforms and other media companies have now built, um, Galleroy, is it, is it, that sounds like a really big, big sort of task to un unwind this because this is a whole, the whole industry is charging this way and it's all bundled. It's huge, both the, I guess, the separation and um, 
when we're talking about the sort of portability side of things, they're, they're huge undertakings. So when we're talking about sort of level playing field, or, you know, helping the level playing field, some of that is around when we're talking about IDs, being able to make a stronger case for the, the non-platforms, you know, gathering data, getting more strength there. So bringing that somewhere closer. Um, but, but in this conversation, we've also got to remember there's there's data from a media owner point of view and then there's a data from an ad tech point of view. So we're focusing on that media owner side of things, but then there's the flow of the data through the tech stack as well, which which, which is a, a different uh, different element of making that, um, I guess, being able to, to separate that and, and move that around. Um, but the common ID type idea should play into this as well because then you will have a, you know, dare I say it, more large silos rather than large platform silos than everyone else as a disparate group. So strength in collaboration, in data partnerships, again, putting consumer privacy front and centre. And to the points that sort of both Dan and Christian have made, we need to make sure that any changes do look at that broader landscape because it is not, it's not just, you know, the platforms that are top of mind, there are um, yeah, commerce players, I won't even say e-commerce, but commerce players that are going very heavily into this space and we want to make sure whatever we build, um, you know, suits those purposes as well as today's purposes. Dan, is there upside for you with a, with a data separation mechanism, however that looks? Does it, does it give you a little bit more wind in your sails? The, mo the most thing that we're concerned about at The Guardian is just consumer privacy. Uh, so uh, genuinely, I'm not sure if there is necessarily a benefit to publishers in reducing or, put, or placing purpose limitations on the collection and use of consumer data, other than perhaps giving us a slightly better chance of competing with organisations which um, uh, have a complete view of where you go uh, online and, and a large part offline. But no, I just think, uh, I mean, Paul, at the risk of sounding trite, I mean, it's, I just think it's the right thing to do. I think that the, the problem that we've had with the collection and use of, of data is that it's been completely unregulated. And so as a consequence of that, there's been this massive arms race uh, you know, no doubt with good intentions, everyone's trying to get the best target advertising targeting capabilities that they possibly can, and it's not all bad. But the problem is, is that we haven't stopped to think really and go, well, hang on, is this a reasonable, uh, would consumers think this is a reasonable co uh, collection and use of this data? And I think that's where we need to get to now. Christian Kroon, we're essentially talking about un unwinding vertical inter integration of, 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 of data, of, of data stacks, consumer data. Does that make more expensive and more complex for you for, on the buy side if you don't have that big you know, those, those big data sets that help you do your do what you need to do a lot easier than um, without it, I assume. Australia's heading that, in that direction anyway, in the sense that we've got Google and Facebook, established players, Amazon's entered the market, growing very quickly. If you look at somewhere like uh, Europe or the US, there's a very large ecosystem of very large players. Um, so I think from an advertiser's perspective, whether there's regulation or not, you're having to grapple with an increasing number of very large um, organisations that have data, they have media, they might also be um, selling consumers goods. So th that future is coming to you anyway, that complexity and managing across multiple walled garden platforms. Um, so I, I don't think there's any choice in that. And, and these um, recommendations that might become law won't change that for you either. I think your point was around, does it increase complexity and therefore cost? 
quite possibly but if the cost is on the platforms who might not be able to have a single piece of regulation globally for their platform but actually need to have regulation by country that might just be a cost the platforms need to bear their ability to pass that cost on to advertisers and consumers could well be limited um, through greater competition, which would put a downward pressure on price, which might leave you net neutral or better off. The competition and complexity piece is going to increase regardless. Regulation, um, if done the right way, should be able to balance that out for Australia, I think. Got it. Um, so we're, we're nearly at number three of the proposal halfway. We've got to move, we've got to scoot. But um, just to that point on the cost, Joshua Lowcock, does do you think if some of these uh, these proposals get implemented, does the cost of data rise or or does it decrease post this regime? I'd love to be able to forecast that. It's a difficult one to pin down. I think what you need is an independent pricing and review tribunal to actually set the wholesale price of data. Like an like an energy market then. Like well, an energy market. Wholesale energy market, right? Um, so let's just get to proposal three. Interesting. So you said nothing there, Joshua. Like whether it's going to go up or down. What's your hunch? If you had to, if you had to take a bet, what would happen? What will happen? I suspect the price of data would go up. Right. Okay. Uh, worth following up on that one. So proposal three: rules to manage conflicts of interest and self-preferencing in the supply of ad tech services. The the the, the ACCC is considering rules uh, should be in- introduced to do all, to prevent all that, manage competition and vertical at the ca- that can arise from vertical integration. Josh. So why is this bit important? Why is it in here and and is it meaningful? So this is meaningful. This is probably the most technical part of the entire ACCC document because it really gets in the way that the programmatic supply chain works and the interrelationship between DSPs, SSPs and real-time bidding, if that's not enough acronyms for everyone. Yeah. Uh, I I think the most important thing from this is when you asked if there was any gotchas or if anybody got off scot free in the previous podcast, I think the issue here is this would actually inject transparency into the entire programmatic supply chain and it would mandate and force that. So that would be probably a big win for advertisers and a big challenge for a lot of programmatic operators and the key platforms that have. And if you look at other regulatory markets where, where they've been called out for preferencing or prioritising their own ad tech stack. Why does it force transparency? What, what is in these rules that would do that? They're proposals, not rules yet. Proposed rules, sorry, yes, technically correct there, sorry. So what's in these proposed rules is that people would actually know how the marketplace works. So despite programmatic being called an auction, it's not a transparent auction historically. So you don't know who is bidding against each other. You don't know what prices are being put in there. You don't know who's getting preferential access to inventory it gets into the whole like this is a whole separate podcast topic about Mm. the way header bidding worked or first price auctions and all of that evolution of the ad tech ecosystem this is a complex one difficult to answer christian do you think do you do you agree uh that this will force transparency into the system if we step back i think first of all it's very interesting if you're coming into this cold or skimming across that it's not um, it's not something that is against the law already. You would assume that if you're a publisher signing a contract with a platform that they would be operating in your best in- interest. What the AUCCC seems to be laying out very clearly is that is not the case today. They may not be doing that. And that's true across the entire ecosystem. So unless you've got a full-time agent or staff who are very capable, your contract um, 
could see money dripping out left, right and centre. And this whole piece about transparency, this is kind of at the heart of it, that even the contract you sign with someone who you think is working on your behalf may actually be lining their own pockets at the same time, unless you've got a lot of specialist skill, which for a lot of advertisers and publishers is just beyond their their cost base. So a fascinating point, I think, uh, I agree with Joshua, can only be good for advertisers um, as they follow it through. Um, although, again, it depends on what model you use as an advertiser, because you might have a fixed price model, which means that you have no right to see any of this information. Right, yes. So um, you kind of, and this is the point we've made all the way through the ACCC. We've got 15 different streams that are underway. What we're talking about today is only one of those 15. Mandatory code is one of those 15. They are all interconnected. And if you're looking just at one on its own, and we've seen an explosion of interest because of Google's sort of commentary around search, then you're probably going to have a problem down the line because it's a single ACCC, ACCC team, specialist team that are looking at this, and they are working together and looking at how they play into each other. So for me, fascinating, can only be good for advertisers, but if you haven't set yourself up properly in the very beginning, you may not be the beneficiary of this um, should it come to pass. Gay, quick thoughts. You, you're into the detail and the technical stuff, and this is where Joshua says this is the most technical part of the proposal. Uh, transparency? Uh, it is, and but it also uh, sort of flows into Proposal 5, so it's all around the sort of the transaction ID, the transparency right through the, um, you know, an inventory flow, a transaction flow. So um, obviously IAB globally have done a lot of work on this in terms of um, buy-side transparency, which you know, we've pushed and banged a drum on a lot about, which hasn't always been implemented, doing a lot of work on the sell side um, side of transparency and having basically a, a receding type idea, which I know Dan's talked about as well, going right through. And if you can see that chain, um, there, there is a, a lot sort of um, to gain both from our advertiser and a publisher side of things, having that transparency. But it isn't... Um, there's time involved, there's resources involved, and, and you sort of need to be need to be on top of it. Paul, can I jump in? I just want to just bring this back to what I think the core issue here is, which, which we haven't touched on here. And, and what this recommendation is fundamentally about is Google have complete dominance of the ad tech supply chain. They have, they have about, according to the ACCC, they have about 80% of the advertiser demand, and they have about 100% of the publisher supply. And to touch on the point that I think Christian made earlier, those two things are in conflict because on one side, you're trying to get the cheapest inventory you possibly can for your advertiser. While on the other side, you're trying to get fair value for publisher inventory. And what the HCCC found is they didn't find that there was definitely preferencing, but they found that there was an incentive to do so. Um, now, obviously I'm biased, but as a publisher, I think that our inventory has become too cheap. And that's happened since Google has dominated the supply chain. If there was more competition from demand sources, and if there was a meaningful alternative to Google's ad server, then I would think we would see fairer value for publisher inventory, more uh, dollars flowing through to um, the campaigns themselves and more effective ad, uh, ad campaigns as a result. Megan Brownlow, your thoughts on that? I think there's an interesting um, big stick that governments have here, but not our government, the US government. And there's already rumblings in the US about antitrust activities by businesses being too big. And there's definitely precedent here. And you look at the primacy of sectors historically. So you had 
oil in the early 10s and this business Standard Oil got broken up by the government into 34 businesses. Then AT&T telcos had primacy in the 80s and they were broken up into half a dozen businesses. Then there was the attempt on Microsoft, IBM. You know, this is a very significant threat. And so I think the natural inclination for self-preferencing, whether it's ad tech um, stacks or any other um, part of your behemoth businesses, is under that threat. And now we've got a different administration in the US, I think we might see some more self-imposed controls in that area. I'm really interested, Megan, in your in, in, in Joshua's view that um, two things happen. There might be need to be a some sort of arbitration commission that, that regulates pricing like an energy market in data, one of the points he made. Second one was he, you know, if he's going to have a hunch, data pricing would go up. Dan's talking about ad inventory pricing going down as a result of what we've got now. Uh, what's your, where do you think data pricing will, will, will head if we, if we end up like in the scenario? Well, it does depend it does depend if we do end up taking data seriously to the point where we implement an independent pricing and review tribunal, which I think is actually a brilliant idea. It underscores how valuable data is and how critical it has been to the growth of the biggest, strongest, most powerful companies in the world. If we do have such a system, then it really most likely will go up in price and that's but in smaller increments and that's because the regulation and administration of data has some costs built in and so the cost of data will go up reflecting those newer regulatory costs. How will advertisers respond to that or your clients uh, Christian? Uh, I have to say I'm not sure I agree. One of the reasons inventories become cheaper over time is because there's been a significant growth in digital inventory, which has outstripped demand previously in Australia for any type um, of um, inventory source, whether it be video or standard display or rich media. So there's lots of different things that will decide the price of something. Um, and I, while I take Dan's point on board, I'm also gonna highlight there's some other points in there that will have um, led to price changes over time. The the other one for me around the cost of data is an interesting one because as an industry, people have grown up on free data. Advertisers are have not missed the point around um, data and, and, and building their own data sets, which is an interesting counterpoint to relying on media or e-commerce or whatever, or whatever you want to call these businesses to provide them with data. They're, they're building their own sophisticated uh, understanding of consumers. So I think super hard to tell where that price point would go. And, and I say this slightly tongue-in-cheek, but I wonder if the ACCC would, would flip around the mandatory code um, for Google and Facebook and the publishers would sit on the other side of the table to them and we'd have um, the same arbitration mechanism. Um, so I, 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 it's, it's really big, very hard to tell where it goes. Really, we wouldn't form a a strong position either way until we see more from the ACCC on which way they're going to go with this. I've got to say, though, I'm not surprised to hear a buyer saying, no, not sure about price increases. That doesn't surprise me at all. Just saying. Megan, you've got some thoughts. I do. Only putting a price on data also opens the opportunity for consumers to value their data. 
and to put a price on their own data. And there have been ideas around, I know the chief data scientist of the UK has been toying with an idea of a market, a consumer market for people's personal data. It's a really fascinating one, that one. And in fact, I've even heard proposals, even with some of um, Christian's uh, peer set talking about using blockchain to do exactly this trade, consumers using blockchain to trade their own data and value it and sell it uh, in the open markets, right? So there's a, that's, a, again, many, many, many Pandora boxes open here, but that's a fascinating one. Can I, can I jump in one thing there? We need, to, we need to, when we're looking at data value, we need to broaden that out because it's not just authenticated user data because otherwise we get back into that race for data. Um, it's context, it's broadening that out because that all has value as well. So we need to make sure we're stretching that definition. Just elaborate, just really quickly elaborate when you say context, what do you mean? It's just not about the user data per se, but the environments they're in? Well, it's about the user in that environment. It's not just have I collected 20 extra data points on that individual. So we need to make sure we're, we're valuing the return on investment so that Christian can go to clients and go, you know, there's value of this person in this environment, which will be very different than that person in another environment. Yes, which is what Dan will be happy to hear that, I'm assuming, because you'll be premium, I think, aren't you, Dan? Uh, you don't have to think it, Paul. It's, uh, it's a fact. <laughs> That's right. There. Well put. Right, we are trying to get through these. The, the, the next one, uh, proposal for uh, implementation of a voluntary industry standard to enable full independent verification of DSP service demand-side platforms. Joshua, how important is this? This one's, I think, the biggest carrot that the ACCC has dropped because this is saying, hey, industry, if you can sort this out yourself, you might avoid some of the other headaches. So this is about the industry working together to provide buyers, media owners, advertisers, everyone, transparency in the way the full system works so that it can be independently audited. Again, big carrot, big advantage to advertisers and publishers, and the ACCC's best carrot to everyone to say, sort this out yourselves. So Megan, is this a industry-wide audit program that's done by some big reputable company? Well, there's an idea. <laughs> yes, thank you. Original too. Basically the audit though, how do you get an industry-wide audit? How, what, what, the mechanics for that? Oh, there's lots of precedents for that. We've got third-party verification on things like um, whether chickens roam free for free-range, you know, um, RSPCA chickens and things like that. So that's just one that comes to mind. But, you know, we've got <laughs> lots of examples where you have independent third parties verifying an assertion that an industry wishes to impart to its to its, um, uh, you know, other parts of the value chain and its customers. You happy with that sort of idea, Christian? Oh, look, I think um, this idea is one that's already got a lot of momentum in the market. I think we should be proud in Australia of the work that the MFA have done, the IAB have done, AANA have really lent into this with um, with their base as well. So we're already on that journey. Um, it's not too big a jump to think that there might be a mandatory clause in there somewhere like there has been on other things the ACCC have done um, for the platforms it might force them to kind of coalesce because um, they're a, a bit of an outsider here um, so look uh, as Joshua said very good for advertisers very good for all of us on the demand side for an agency we have a lot of transparency and always have because our clients demand it so it's built into all our contracts Publishers are really starting to lean into that space too. Uh, last week, we talked about people like the Trade Desk with their ID. There's, there's an enormous kind of momentum from a number of different sources. We're on the journey. 
this may simply accelerate the time frame. So all very positive as far as I'm concerned. That sounds like thumbs up. Uh, Joshua's big carrot uh, analogy looks like it's, it's landing with everyone. Uh, on the home stretch, proposal five, implementation of a common transaction ID. I, I find these last two fascinating because I don't know enough about it probably, but it, industry should implement, the actual saying, industry should implement a common system whereby each transaction in the ad tech supply chain is identified with a single identifier, which allows a single transaction to be traced through the entire supply chain. Not dissimilar to my rudimentary understanding of blockchain, to be honest, but Joshua, how important is this one? I think this is, it's actually an enabler of transparency. So I think that's step number one. I think the other part of this and another way to interpret it is that common transaction ID does feed into concepts like unified ID. So you can actually use data more portably between different platforms and services. So I think both are, both in and of themselves are interesting, important. There's great developments here in the US in at least the common transaction ID and a couple of startups working in that space. I think the transaction ID portability though between buying on different platforms is probably the more interesting one because that would actually solve the problem of some of the competition concerns about is there incremental reach or value buying on one platform or another? And it breaks down some of the siloed walls between buying on one environment than the other. Common ID, um, you, you talked about, oh, sorry, this is a, sh a common transaction ID and we also have uh, this idea of, a, uh, idea of a common user ID as well. You talked about some of the, you know, the commercial players all trying to build out these common IDs in their own right. There's a race there, right? Everyone's trying to build out. So what becomes of, do, does that get sidelined for this big, huge industry, uh, an industry-wide initiative? How does that play out? Yeah, I think it, like the industry is trying to work and there is an arms race to try and solve a solution or build a solution in that area right now. I think the word that's missing from the ACCC piece, if you wanted to strengthen it, is interoperable. So you have multiple industry players building siloed solutions and you don't want to end up in a marketplace where there's two dominant players to a marketplace where there's five dominant players and still no competition for everyone who's not a huge organization. So if those systems are interoperable and can be used in an open marketplace, I think that would be the win. Which is why these six proposals and beyond are so interconnected, if you like, because they're sort of almost reliant on each other to roll out, implement and be effective. Common transaction ID, Gay, what, what would be the, re the response from, from your constituents on that? Um, I think if, it, if, it, if it's done well, you know, um, most of them would be, would be for it. I think um, it would improve transparency, as we've said. I think we'd be a little bit careful with this report because, again, it is just looking at one part of the ecosystem. So for Proposal 4 and for Proposal 5, making sure anything we knew we set up that improves the ecosystem, that it's not just open RTB we're looking at, particularly with the, you know, um, competition within verification services, that it, it did hit the sort of um, other walled gardens that aren't playing, um, taking part in the open RTB system. So overall, absolutely on board. There is work to be done. There is um, cost to do these things. So we would look to our friends at the agencies and clients to prioritise this because otherwise none of this happens. I want to circle back to Dan and Christian once we get through the common user ID, which is the final proposal uh, at, from the ACCC and our final point in this podcast. So hang in there, we're getting there. Um, so Joshua, the implementation of a common user ID to allow tracking of attribution activity, activity which in, in, in a way still protects consumer privacy. What is different about the common user ID to the common transaction ID and how important is this final point? Uh, so this final point I think is really interesting from a privacy standpoint because 
nobody wants to say they're not uh, in favor or an advocate of privacy and all of the debates around all of this always sort of corner you if you go look i don't want this change they go well aren't you a aren't you actually standing up against privacy i think attribution is a way of solving this because attribution proves that media works and everyone on this call regardless of what side of the industry you stand on wants to prove that media works so attribution will prove that media works and ensures that if people can pick up and use data anywhere and publishers can benefit and advertisers can benefit, they make wise decisions in the best interests of what's driving their business outcomes. Because at the end of the day, media is about driving business outcomes, not just about buying impressions. Now, Dan, um, like Gay, uh, you've got probably the same concerns around privacy implications, probably for different reasons, but um, both these these initiatives of a common transaction ID and a common user ID, uh, the upside, but your concerns as well. And will you know? do you want it to happen? Yeah, I mean, look, subject to all of the privacy um, considerations which we've touched on uh, both this week and last week, but I think these have huge merit. Um, I mean, I think what if we're able to implement uh, these two proposals, then that will um, achieve what I think we've, the whole industry has sort of been saying they want, and that's the ability for um, uh, you know advertisers to be able to track uh, exactly where their spend is going through the supply chain, uh, exactly what where the um, what it's costing them for data or brand safety and all those sort of things on the way through and determining whether um, they're getting return on investment for those different things. So, I mean, look, I would make the point, to a certain extent, this is already possible through the use of open RTB standards, that the problem is that those standards are not universal across the industry now and what these two proposals would do, it would effectively achieve that um, if the industry was to adopt it on the way through. Um, I just finished though by saying I would absolutely echo Joshua's point from earlier, and I think interoperable is key here if this is going to be successful. Uh, we, we wouldn't want this to be something which just uh, ends up with an, an oligopoly, oligopoly, if you like, of, of, of ideas. We want this to be something which is universal across the industry. I'm tempted to ask you how to spell that word, uh, uh, Dan, but I won't. Um, final quick thoughts from Christian uh, on, on these two ID initiatives. Uh, okay, so the transaction ID, a uh, very good idea. I would flip it around though and say to any client, what are you seeing today? You should be able to break down your own programmatic supply chain and see exactly what's going on. If you can't, I'd probably start with today and we'll see how this plays out over the next year. Um, in terms of the user ID, again, Dan's point, we've got some movement in that area already. We're seeing Apple move into this space with its own attribution and measurement of what goes on with it. its ecosystem. Attribution is very complex, even if you're looking at a single client. I guess who gets to be the arbiter of how arbitration, um, how attribution works, because that could predetermine who becomes the biggest ad firm in the world, because it's all about attribution. So of all the areas, this is probably even more complex from an advertiser's perspective than, than consumer privacy in a way. I don't, how you make this workable across so many different areas is, going to be fascinating. Um, well, you're used to complexity, Megan Brownlow. Um, attribution, it's the holy grail, isn't it? I mean, that's what everyone's trying to get to. Does the common user ID get, if it can be rolled out, does it get the market there? Sure. It sounds hard. <laughs> I think I think that it would need an agnostic leader with a proven track record to bring all of the parties together. And obviously the IAB Internationally, they've already got the tech lab. They would be the ones to develop such a thing and then have it 
accepted and and then roll it out because they've got form here. Um, doesn't mean they'd pay for it. The whole industry would have to chip in, but that's the only way I could see it being enacted. Getting your boots on then, Gay, very quickly by the sounds of it. <laughs> I'm just, yep, sending out those invoices yes. now. <laughs> but, but one thing, I mean, all of this, we're not going to, no matter what we try and do, we're not going to get to a point where attribution is perfect or probably even as good as we think it is today, even though we're possibly reading some of the data incorrectly. There is going to be modelling involved. We're going to have to be ready for that. The one thing that we need to make sure that that um, allows for is smaller players to be accounted for. Because if we think about any any model type attribution um, area, market mix modelling, etc., which is going to have to be part of some of these solutions, it does favour big spends because you can make a really clear read on it. The sort of fragmented spend we have across digital, it's going to be very hard to... Um, and I, I don't envy Christian's task of being able to see those those individual points for a range of, pub, of large publishers across the world. Final word to the man in New York. Uh, so uh, Joshua Megan says it sounds very hard to do a common ID, uh, user ID. Uh, is it possible, probable, your take? And then we're going to wrap this thing up. Uh, it's possible, it's probable, but it also involves solving for privacy. So we go full circle and we need to look at the privacy yes. act review. Is the IB the body to do it globally or locally? You know, where do you see it going? Well, privacy's got to be everyone. I mean, there's a, there's an awfully named group, which Joshua is probably part of, called PRAM, which is the Partnership for Responsible Media, Addressable Media, um, and that's a collaborative group. So it's IAB, it's ANA, it's a whole lot of large advertisers, and that's the, the only way it's going to work if it's across the industry. But happy, happy to take a bit of ownership. Yes, OK. Well, listen, um, if your brain's not fried, then keep listening because we'll come back. But uh, uh, there's a lot to digest there. It's a fantastic conversation, a uh, really meaty one. Joshua Lowcock from UM, Dan Stinton at The Guardian, Megan Brownlow, MFA board member and an advisor and a non-executive director, uh, Christian Croon from OMG, Gayla Roy IAB. Thank you so much. That was a... Um, I have to listen to it three times to get a head around it, but hopefully the, the, the industry will be better for it. Stay safe and uh, we will talk in some of these other follow-ups. Thanks, guys. MI3 Audio Edition was presented by Paul McIntyre, that's moi, in collaboration with Podcast One Australia. Producer Nick Slater, music by Matt Dwyer. For more episodes, go to podcastone.com.au or search MI3 Audio Edition on Apple Podcasts and hit the subscribe button.